My name is Pastor Christopher. I have the joy this morning of, of leading us forward in our series that, that we're calling Behold Your God as we continue our way forward in my favorite book in all of the Bible, the book of Isaiah, the book that introduced me to Jesus, have the honor of, of preaching one of the most exquisite passages in it. I got a great one this morning. And so raise your hand. We're going to get in the word this morning as we continue our series that we're, we're calling Behold Your God. Uh, the goal of this series uh, leading up to Easter is we want to gain a greater vision of who our God is through the book of Isaiah. And to be honest, there is no better guide to help us on this quest than the prophet Isaiah. You see, throughout the Old Testament, when God would raise up prophets to speak to his people, he would come and he would visit prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the prophet Isaiah, and he would reveal himself to the prophets in visions. This vision moment happened for the prophet Isaiah way back in chapter 6, in the year that the king Uzziah died, Isaiah receives a vision of this throne room and he sees God face to face and he freaks out and he ex exclaims, woe is me, I I'm a man of unclean lips, what am I doing here beholding the holy God in the temple that he rules all the earth and he exclaims, my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. He sees God face to face. Did you know in the Old Testament, the prophets came to be known as seers? And so when somebody would go to a prophet, they would go to a seer. They would call them the seers. Did you know that? You see, the prophet Isaiah, he was more than a man with a message. He was a seer who was sent by God to share visions of what he saw with Israel. You see, I think as Westerners, many times we come to church and we open the Bible like we're in a classroom. Like we're in a classroom. This morning, I want to let you know that Isaiah, what he is going to do is he's going to take us beyond the classroom into the throne room. He's not just going to teach us truths about God. He's going to show us something. Or to be more exact, he's going to show us someone, a mysterious figure called the servant of the Lord. In the New Testament, over and over and over again, the writers identify this servant with Jesus of Nazareth, which is fascinating because 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah was given this vision of the servant. 
which has led some scholars to actually refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel because Isaiah was an eyewitness to Jesus' glory. That's why in John chapter 12, verse 41, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, that is Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. So between now and Easter, we're on a quest to be seers of Jesus, to behold his glory, his majesty, his beauty, his perfection, by looking at a series of passages in Isaiah that are referred to as the servant songs or the servant poems. And in these four passages or poems, let me tell you, as we catch a glimpse of Jesus' glory, it will enthrall your heart and make your hair stand on end, if you have any. <laughs> All week, I've, I've been fighting a chest cold, and, and I, I got it from my kids because kids share everything. And, and I've been praying all week that I would be able to preach this passage from Isaiah 42, the first servant song, with the passion and pre precision that this text deserves. But you know what? My heart was relieved because I realized it doesn't depend on my passion or precision. My prayer for you is that you would actually just see the perfection of this servant. You would see him this morning. So with that, I hope that you will open your Bible this morning to Isaiah chapter 42. And we're going to dive in to this exquisite passage. And let's see this servant together. You guys ready? Yes. All right, one of you. Eric Lowe, always ready, friend. I love you. I love you, buddy. It's amazing. The only man who wears a suit to River West. I love you so much, man. I love it. It's amazing. He hates that. I just drew his attention to him then. Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice. To the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light 
for the nations, to open up the eyes that are blind, and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you all of them. This is God's word. To fully appreciate and savor the sweetness of this vision of the servant that Isaiah shows us here, we need a little backstory, a little history lesson on the book of Isaiah and this passage that was written. You see, at the, at the time that Isaiah saw this vision, Israel is in captivity in Babylon. And like most refugees in our world today, their dreams and hopes of a bright and better future are crushed. Inside, the nation of Israel feels like a nation of bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Deep down, inside every heart, there's one aching desire, one longing for a deliverer. For a king who could come, someone with power, that it could actually change their circumstance. Someone who could come and lead them out of captivity and make things right, bring them back home. And what's, what's fascinating about the book of Isaiah is that God actually tells his people, Israel, that he's going to send them two very different kings. One king will be named Cyrus the Great, and this other king will simply be referred to as the servant. So you have Cyrus and you have the servant, and they're put side by side, and there's a stark contrast between the two. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Adam shared how the Lord predicted that a meadow Persian pagan king named Cyrus the Great would rise to power and would deliver Israel out of captivity in Babylon. So in 539 BC, Cyrus overthrew the Babylonian empire and after this victory, he allowed some Judean people, the refugees, to return home to Jerusalem, just as Isaiah had foretold from the mouth of the Lord. But make no mistake, Cyrus was not a good, God-fearing king. He was a brutal, war-mongering, ego-inflated king that would crush anyone or anything that stood in his path of power. It's why back in chapter 41, 
that we were just in last week, in verse 25, it describes Cyrus this way. It says that he, Cyrus, shall trample on rulers as on mortar and as the potter treads clay and just smashes the clay. A brutal warlord that will crush and step on people to get his way. That's Cyrus the Great. However, think about this. If God could use an unjust, pagan, power-hungry king like Cyrus to deliver his people, what would happen if a good king came to power? Can you imagine the kind of deliverance a good king could bring? And that's what we're going to see throughout the servant songs is God is going to send a king who's infinitely greater than Cyrus to do what no other king in history could do to bring justice to the nations. To bring justice, not just to Israel's situation, but as we'll see, to redeem and restore the whole world. That's the kind of king we're going to see in the servant. However, he's unlike any other king that we've ever met. Any other king that we could imagine. So today, as Isaiah invites us to behold this servant, and in the weeks ahead, as we study these passages, we're going to be presented with a paradox. On the one hand, Isaiah is going to show us a vision of a high and mighty king who comes with justice and power. On the other hand, this same king is going to come as a lowly, gentle servant who suffers. How in the world can these two qualities come together? Justice and gentleness. People are, are normally one or the other. Uh, people either have a deep conviction of what's right and are committed to, to doing what's right, or, or people are, are, are gentle and soft. You know, this, this last week, in the wake of Billy Graham's death, I, I was reading some of the stories and the testimonies of people that were impacted and impressed by his amazing, faithful life and the legacy he leaves behind. One of the most faithful men that has devoted his life to preaching the gospel that we've ever seen. And, and what struck me as I heard the stories about people that were impacted by Billy Graham was time after time people mentioned his gentle spirit. His gentle spirit. You know, th there was a Southern Baptist pastor that was remembering Billy Graham, and he called him a gentle steamroller. <laughs> a gentle steamroller. And I love that. I love that. that that's amazing. 
I love that. Because Billy Graham, when he would open the Bible, there was an authority. There was a simplicity with his words. No showmanship, no bravado, like so many of the television preachers that, that we've seen. None of that. Deep humility, but he was bold. He preached like he believed every single person was there because Jesus made a divine appointment for them to hear the gospel, and he was faithful. But you know what? As Billy Graham and his crusades and meetings grew, his concern for justice actually grew as well. Do you know this? Billy Graham, he befriended Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The two became friends and as he watched what God was doing to bring awareness to segregation in the United States, in his meetings, he didn't segregate the crowd like so many evangelists of the time would. There would be a white section and a black section. And Billy Graham said, we're all children of God, and we're going to hear this gospel to the nations together tonight. And he stood against the injustice of segregation and even bailed Dr. Martin Luther King out of prison one time. Amazing. Yet he was so gentle. Uh, He was always a farmer at heart. Loved his sweet tea. Remembered people's names. It's amazing. How can a man like this, who, who would speak to Over 82 million people in his meetings heard the gospel through Billy Graham. How could he become so just and yet so gentle? And it's because he loved this servant and he believed what this passage spoke about Jesus, the gentle steamroller, the gentle yet just king. Only the gospel can produce gentleness and justice, put them side by side in the same person. And what we're going to see is this servant today, he is a just king, but he's also a gentle king. And to show us how these qualities come together in the servant perfectly, first what Isaiah is going to do is he's going to invite us to behold a king who comes with justice. If you're taking notes, that's the first big wow moment here in this passage is Isaiah wants to show us this is a just king. Did you notice in the passage that we read that the word justice kept showing up together? Three times in the first four verses, we're told that the servant of the Lord has come to bring Justice. Let's read those verses again and pay attention to the way that Isaiah describes this just servant. Behold, my servant whom I am uh, I'm upholding, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. 
and the coastlands wait for his law. Now, when Isaiah tells us that this king is going to come and he's going to bring justice, we tend to picture a judge who punishes evildoers and enemies. And although the Hebrew concept of justice, it it involves punishing evildoers and retribution, it's much broader than simply punitive justice or, or just righting wrongs that have been committed. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used in this passage and throughout the Old Testament for justice is the term mishpat. Can you say that? It's a fun one. Mishpat. Mishpat. The word mishpat, actually, it's used in Exodus 26.30. It's the same word that the Lord uses when he gives his plan for the tabernacle to Moses. He gives Moses the plan for the tabernacle or the blueprint. The word that's used is the same word, this Hebrew word, mishpat. And what justice is, is it's God's blueprint and plan for human flourishing. It's his blueprint for our relationships in life. And when our lives are aligned with mishpat, with this blueprint, every part of who we are flourishes. Our souls, our relationships, our families, our bodies, our societies, our very environment, when it's aligned with justice, everything flourishes because it's in right relationship with the God we read about in verse five. Let me remind you who he is. In verse five, it says, this is the God we serve. The Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. The God who measured out the heavens and who spread out the earth and knows every square inch of it because he designed it is the God of Mishpat who understands how life should be, how every aspect of life is created to flourish. However, when our lives are not aligned with God's blueprint, with justice, everything eventually breaks down and crumbles. You see, what you need to know is injustice is more than a political dysfunction or a social dysfunction. Deep down at the root of injustice, it is a spiritual dysfunction, a a spiritual evil a rejection of God that traces its roots all the way back to Eden when Adam and Eve, our first parents, decided to choose what was good and evil for themselves. When they rejected God's blueprint and blessing and decided to build life for themselves. And folks, we've been living in a world 
that's overrun with injustice and evil ever since. This last week in Parkland, Florida, we were confronted again with the ugly fact that we live in a world where things are not the way that they are supposed to be. How tragic is it that we live in a world where little children are afraid of getting on buses and getting shot at school? As a father of two boys, the day after the shooting occurred, I saw my son Hayden, my eldest son, get on a bus. And, and something happened in my heart, the heart of every parent that has kids in school. I, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe today, that this will happen in another school. Maybe injustice will visit LOJ, the junior high next to us. None of us is immune from injustice and evil in the world. As I watched the images of students and, and teachers and parents weep like candles at vigils, Inside my heart, it felt like a bruised reed. It felt like a smoldering wick, like many of you probably felt this week as well. But with each time that I opened my Bible and read Isaiah chapter 42, I was filled with hope the candle of my heart began to burn a bit brighter. With each day, I opened up and saw this servant. You see, friends, what you need to hear this morning is there is a king. One and one only who can undo the horrendous effects of the fall and establish justice on the earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus shows up, and he declares that he is the just king that has come to do everything Isaiah promised that he would in chapter 4 of Luke. Let me read this passage, and I want you to pay attention to the way that Jesus claims to be the just king of Israel in chapter 4 of Luke. Starting in verse 14, listen to the way that Luke describes Jesus Christ in this passage. He says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on a Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone marveled. You know, when Jesus says this, he's quoting from two passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 42. It's, I, it's Jesus Christ's way of saying, I am the just king that Isaiah wrote about. I've come. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to open up the eyes of the blind. I've come to liberate the oppressed and set captives free. This is the king in Isaiah 42 that the coastlands have been waiting for, and he's come to Nazareth to establish his justice on the earth. And however, for a moment, the people marvel at Jesus' words. If you read on in Luke chapter 4, as I encourage you to today, before long, they want to throw Jesus off a cliff, which is the pattern of his ministry. You know, people marvel at Jesus, and then before long, they, they want to throw him off a cliff because Jesus doesn't fit our box of the kind of leader and ruler that we want. You see, Jesus is not the kind of king that anyone expected or wanted for that matter. Instead of the servant, the people of, people of Israel, they wanted a king like Cyrus. That's the kind of king they wanted. A king that kicks butt and takes names. That, that's what they wanted. They, they wanted a king who would bring justice through brute military strength and, and could crush their enemies. But Jesus is a different kind of king. He's come to bring justice, but he's not going to bring it the way that any of us would ever expect a king to bring justice. He's going to bring justice to the earth through gentleness. He's not just a just king, he's a gentle king. This is where, quite frankly, if you're unfamiliar with the gospel, Christianity sounds like nonsense. It, it really does. A king who brings justice through gentleness? I mean, how can a gentle servant fix what's wrong 
in the world. Gentle people don't tend to, to change societies, do they? Does our world listen to gentle people? And yet, as we'll see, the, the servant that has come to redeem the whole world has come not just with justice in hand, but with gentleness. So that's what Isaiah shows us here in this passage. And this is the shocker. This is the surprise, is he's not just a just king, he's a gentle king. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 42, look at this portrait of gentleness in verses 2 and 3. In verses 2 and 3, we read, He will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench or snuff out. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. This imagery here, it's so incredibly tender and beautiful, isn't it? This is one of the most tender pictures of, of Jesus, the, the Savior we adore in all of the Scripture. You know, in verse 3, where it, it describes the servant, and it says, a bruised reed, this servant, he will not break. What it does, it gives us this image of, of a bruised reed, a reed, a grain a stalk of grain that, that's been broken at an angle. You see, the Hebrew word for, for bruised, it, it means beyond just, just being bruised on your skin, it actually is closer to the word crushed. The Hebrew word, what it does, it's describing something that maybe doesn't show it on the surface, but inside a, a deep contusion, it's broken, broken something internal. So maybe on the outside, something that's bruised, like a, a stalk of grain, you might not notice it, but that, that, that grain is actually broken. It won't produce another head of grain because it's been bruised. Outwardly, it, it looks okay, but inside, it's dying. That's a reed that's been broken. Then right after that, Isaiah goes on to say, a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. A, a picture of a candle that, that's fighting to stay lit, that is just right on the verge of being snuffed out and extinguished. Just this tender imagery. What's going on here? What's Isaiah trying to show us about this servant? Let me tell you what he's talking about and trying to impress upon us, River West. This is so beautiful. He's trying to show us that this servant in the passage, he's attracted to the hopeless cases. That, that his gentleness draws this servant to 
the bruised reeds and the broken, the beaten, beaten and abused, the depressed and discarded, who maybe don't show it on the outside, but inside they're dying. This gentle king, he comes alongside the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks, the ones who've given up on faith, hope, love, and justice. And he cups their hearts in his hands. And, and he gently cares for them. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus going out of his way to tenderly love people that our world discards and counts as nothing. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 12, one of these scenes where we get to see Jesus' gentleness in action. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 9, we read this story of Jesus and his encounter with a man with a withered hand. And in verse 9, listen to the way that Jesus responds to this situation with both justice and gentleness. In verse 9 of Matthew, we read, He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. Jesus said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it, it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is amazing. In this passage, we see both the justice and the gentleness of Jesus in this encounter. First off, we see Jesus' justice. You almost see Jesus on the verge of anger in this passage as the religious leaders are trying to trap him and set up a situation where they want to see if Jesus will heal and help a man who has a physical disability. They want to use this situation as a trap to see if Jesus will violate the law, so that they can accuse him as a heretic and false teacher and put him to death. And so Jesus, you almost see him responding and saying, which one of you has a sheep on the Sabbath day, if it falls into a pit, don't you help it? And yet you don't care about this guy? So you see the justice of Jesus emerging, just boiling up in this passage, and yet you don't see Jesus 
raising his voice. In perfect gentleness, he makes eye contact with this man with a withered hand. And he says, stretch out your hand. And he heals him. So gentle, so compassionate. Like a shepherd that just has pity on a sheep who's in distress. Jesus heals this man. Matthew goes on in the passage, and and look, in the next verse right here, we read that this whole scenario was included in Matthew's gospel to show us that Jesus is the servant from Isaiah 42. It's the whole setup of why Matthew includes this story. So look in verse 15. Matthew continues, and he says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And here we have Isaiah 42, right here. Behold, my servant whom I'm chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoldering wick, he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. River West, this, this encounter in, in Matthew 12, it's, it's been on my heart for us as a church all week. I believe it's just a prophetic picture of the kind of church that Jesus is calling us to be. You see, friends, how our world today needs churches where people like this man with the withered hand are welcomed in and embraced and loved. Churches where bruised reeds And faintly burning wicks can find healing and hope. I believe that there's only one truth in heaven and earth that can heal a human heart and bring hope to a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, and it's the gospel. Friends, are our Savior to bring hope to the bruised reeds in our world. He was bruised and beaten. Later on in these servant passages, we'll be told that he was crushed for our iniquities and the chastisements and punishments that bring us peace come at the cost of the body of the perfect Son of God being broken for us. Friends, if you've come here today like this man with the withered hand who showed up at a synagogue hoping someone would see him, you need to know that our Savior sees you. He sees sees the bruises that no one else does. 
He sees you've come in here, you've made it to church today, but inside your faith is just smoldering. Would you hear again afresh the good news of the gospel? You have a Savior and his gentleness will never stop pursuing you. Our just king, he went to the cross. His life, he was bruised and broken and crushed so that we could behold his candle was snuffed out so you and I could have hope. And on the third day, light broke from the tomb and our Savior rose again. And that's why we can worship today as people of hope. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here this morning. We're going to respond by doing what Isaiah invites us to do in Isaiah 42, by singing to this servant. Throughout the servant's songs, one of the reasons that they're called songs is that there's these invitations to sing to this king that we see. Isaiah calls it a new song because this is a new kind of king. If you're in a place today where you've never put your hope in this king, you're going to have an opportunity to do that this morning. River West, you just need to know that our gentle Savior, Jesus, he sees your circumstance. He knows what you're going through. And he will not allow the bruises you've experienced that life has dished out to have the final word. His bruises will be your hope and healing. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, what grace... What kindness, Lord, that you, who are perfectly just, Lord, would be moved by gentleness to go to a cross, to hang for our sins, to heal our bruises, you were bruised and crushed. there's anyone here this morning that needs a Savior to heal your heart and give you a hope that will never fail. I would just ask this morning, as heads are bowed, just, just to open up your hands, to open up your heart. I'm just going to lead you in a very, very simple prayer. Maybe your heart this morning, you're ready to receive this king as the king and savior of your life. If that's you, God arranged this moment for you to hear the gospel. And you can say this prayer. Father, I need 
a Savior who will set me free from the dungeon that I have made. I believe in my heart that your son Jesus is king and Lord of all. I ask you to show me who you are and give me your hope and spirit. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, the same spirit that was upon Jesus Christ has made you a son or a daughter of God. Father, I thank you that your plan of salvation cannot and will not be interrupted by any man nor by our enemy and that you are coming back to establish justice on the earth. And one day, every knee in every nation will bow before this king that we've seen together. But this morning, Father, we do our part, and we behold you, and we bow our hearts, and we say, Lord, you're beautiful. You're the king we need. Lead us. Deliver us. Teach us to love like you. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.